Hey everyone, welcome to No Experts Allowed. So glad you're tuning in for this episode. How are you, Seth? I'm doing great. So excited to be here, as always. I know, before we get into it, just a friendly reminder, everyone, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we have merch, and a very special announcement for the first time on our podcast, we've just launched the No Experts Allowed website. So do me a favor. Go to www.noexpertsallowed.com and take a look around and let us know what you think. We can't wait to see what you have to say about our new virtual home. But Seth, enough about our awesome website that people should definitely check out. I have a question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be buried in a graveyard, but... An insult comic gets to write the epitaph on your tombstone. (laughs) Or be cremated, but your ashes have to be carried by a family member in a large McDonald's drink cup for as long as physically possible. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this this one's awesome. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to go with... The graveyard. I don't even know if that many people visit them. So somebody can write my tombstone. It can be it can be the biggest diss. But like who who even is gonna know? I think it was just gonna be here lies Seth. He was dragged by Chance the Rapper on Twitter once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking about at Disney World, outside the Haunted Mansion, they have all these tombstones that are like little couplets of poetry that are all like this. Like, it'd be something like, here lies Jonathan, he lies here dead, he hit his head when he fell out of bed, or something like <laughs> cheesy that rhymes like that. But I think this would just be meaner than that. But still, I'd go with Graveyard. I just don't want to inconvenience people by having to carry around <laughs> a giant styrofoam McDonald's cup full of Jonathan. <laughs> For the rest of their lives. Yeah, I wonder... I mean, this is might, might be a weird question. I wonder how big the cup would have to be to, like, contain me. Like, I've seen, like, an urn, but I don't... Right. I, but I have no idea, like, how full the urn is. Does that make sense? Well, I honestly thought of the large McDonald's drink cup, because I was like, hmm, an urn. What's something else that's kind of that size? And it's also sad to think about that we regularly consume an urn full of, like, Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, at least it's a diet. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're off the rails. So I think we need to anchor ourselves back in the text for tonight. So Seth, will you read our psalm for us? I took a, a very quick sneak peek just before I'm reading this. And I love this psalm. So I'm excited. Let's go. This is Psalm 146 from the Common English Bible. Praise the Lord. Let my whole being praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There's no saving help with them. Their breath leaves them. Then they go back to the ground. On that very same day, their plans die too. The person whose help is in the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests on the Lord their God, is truly happy. God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, 
God who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving, the Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straightens up those who are bent low, the Lord who loves the righteous, the Lord who protects immigrants, who helps orphans and widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. The Lord will rule forever. Zion, your God will rule from one generation to the next. Praise the Lord. Mm. Oh, so such a good, good. one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Seth, tell me what stood out to you. I absolutely love the line. Don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There's no saving help with them. What a succinct line that like might be a good summary of like what's wrong with kind of our situation right now. It's like we keep mm. looking f- to people for help, be they our friends, our political leaders. I love this line that's that's like a radical reorientation. It's like these these people can't save you. Yeah. That that is certainly a striking contrast with the trust in God that we're supposed to have, right? You know, it's the God who brings justice to people who are oppressed and gives bread to the people who are starving. There's this contrast with the human leaders around Israel at the time. And I think that's one of the things that's so striking to me about this passage is that this was Israel's song of praise in the midst of a situation where they felt like their entire existence was at risk. Their leaders and people in power all around them who want something other than this for them. You know, people who are oppressors, people who have big dreams and visions of empire, people clamoring for their attention and their loyalty, and still Israel sings, no, (laughs) (laughs) don't trust them, trust God instead, and here's why. It is a striking contrast in Israel's story. You're exactly right. And I love the way that this passage moves from this negation of our trust in human leaders. It's talking right away about the God of Jacob and then all the things that God does, right? Then it's like, it just starts this like amazing kind of list, just like, like punctuated by God, God, God. The Lord, the Lord. And I love that that switch in there. Yeah, and that really fits the you know, the type of psalm. You know, there are different classifications, there are different forms and styles of psalms. And this is a psalm of praise. So a psalm of praise is really just focused on God and who God is. It's not tied to a specific moment or in response to a certain situation in Israel's history. This is just anchored in God's character and God's personality. And you see that coming through here. Like it so quickly moves away from the stuff that is of the world of the politics. And it moves away from that to like, remember who God is. And then somehow like makes its way back into that stuff by talking about feeding the hungry and looking out for the immigrant and the widow and the orphan. It both gets us beyond 
the current situation, but also draws us back into it in specific moments where God, who has true power compared to these human leaders, this is how God uses their power to go back into the world, not just simply be removed from it. There's one other thing that I love about the CEB in particular, and the reason that I chose it for this particular passage it actually comes from the first verse. And this intro, we might kind of blow right through it, but it often reads differently in other translations. It usually reads something like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Hmm. And so the word that's translated as soul in a lot of translations is the Hebrew word nefesh. I think we miss something when we stick to that soul translation because our kind of modern postmodern understanding of the soul is something that's detached. It's something that's like removed from the physical experience of our bodies. Nefesh as the CEB translates it is about the entirety of ourselves. This is like John legend romance ballad level, (laughs) all of me kind of self like the total of your existence is praising God. And that's what this looks like here. It's such a subtle difference. But it it communicates something so profoundly different than praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I just, I I think that is worth highlighting and identifying, especially given the description of God's character. You know, this is not just a spiritual, detached affiliation or affection. Hmm. This is a devotion to a God who gives justice to the oppressed and bread to the hungry, the creator of all that is, the faithful one, the one who loves the righteous. That demands all of us. Yeah, I think it's only much later that we have these ideas of like what souls are in relation to our bodies. Like we think about them separately. And it's helpful to see for the psalmist, and I'm glad that the CEB translates it this way, that that kind of distinction isn't there, that it's it's all of who this person is. It's both their head and their heart, if we can even make that distinction. But it's also like like their physical body, I think, right? It's like their limbs, too. Yeah. I never really know what to do with my limbs like during worship. <laughs> Maybe I can learn from the psalmist. Maybe, yeah. So, okay. If you're ready, Seth, I think it might be good for us to transition to a conversation about what the point of this passage is. And I I actually am struck back to the first thing that you said stood out to you. Because I think these days it is easy to say, yes. Like, forget about human leaders. Forget about human beings, their plans are fickle, we need to trust in God instead. And yet, there are very serious implications for that kind of belief that I think stand against the God who's described in this psalm too. Hmm. So, for example, when we're recording this, it's the day before election day. And this year in Virginia, because we're on an odd year cycle, we're electing our governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and our house of delegates. So like our state house. Hmm. 
it's interesting to think about, uh, don't trust in leaders. Like, don't worry about what happens out there. Just focus on God, as it's ha- often translated. And by not using that power that we have, which might contrast to the lack of power that Israel had when it wrote and sang this song originally, the implications of that could mean devastation for people who are vulnerable, the people who this psalm describes that God is on the side of. So I guess my challenge is, how do we balance our trust in leaders or our value of institutions that influence how we live our lives, especially since you and I are trying to become leaders in the church? (laughs) How do we balance that with this call to trust in God? And kind of a sub-question to that is, how does our position today, when compared to Israel's position back in the day, Mm -hmm. how does that help or hinder our ability to connect with this passage in the same way? I know that was a lot. It usually is in this transition (laughs) point. But but how how do we balance our trust in leaders with trust in God? And how does our position today kind of help or hinder our ability to connect with this passage? I have a scattering of preliminary thoughts on this. Well, it was a scattering of questions, <laughs> so I don't blame you. <laughs> Sometimes I have an anti-institutional bent, like ingrained in me, hmm. and I've been I've been trying to I don't know what the word is, re- either repress it or heal it correct it lately because it's difficult to have an anti-institutional bent when just like you said you work for and with institutions so i guess for me the way that i've been thinking about institutions in my relationship to them in general is that i can follow them and seek to steer and guide them and be steered and guided in return but i never want to kind of give my whole life to them Mm. i guess that's like for me it was about drawing some type of boundary like the institution can be good and i can do good within the institution but i also think that institutions can kill you if i can say it that way they can wear you down and kill you that way they can kill your spirits even even kind of affect your body right after so long but i also think the kind of difficulty for me with institutions is that although institutions can kill me can like bring me down institutions will never do that for themselves like they always exist to self-perpetuate themselves and that's why i'm reluctant to give myself to any institution completely and just to to take this into a more maybe more theological turn i guess that's the difference for me between the institution that is the church and the person of jesus christ is that Mm. in the church like it won't it won't always seek to self perpetuate itself but that that's not the case in the person of Jesus Christ you know you talk about institutions and i hear obviously talking about the church i hear institutions like the government 
There are so many others we can think of. I think our engagement with them is helpful as long as our engagement with them allows us to faithfully follow what God has set in front of us to do. And I think you and I can both see ways that that can happen, you know, in the church and through advocacy and service in the local government or other institutions like schools and other educational institutions, like those kinds of things. We can see good done. We can see the reign and realm of God coming to this earth and we can see it torn to shreds because of those institutions, by those institutions, as a direct result of the existence of those institutions. In a lot of ways, I see them a lot like I see the Bible. Like the, the institution, the Bible, it's not an end in itself. But if it allows us to seek the end of faithfully following God, of being swept up in the Holy Spirit and working to usher in Christ's reign and realm in the world, it can be good. Like humanity, hmm. institutions hmm. have the capacity for great good and the capacity for great harm. And I wrestle with that a lot too, because it's like, I think especially these days, I'm getting so caught up in the litmus tests yeah. of like, yeah. if this doesn't, if this doesn't meet everything for me, if it doesn't check every one of my boxes, I can't possibly engage with it. When in reality, if I wait around for an institution that checks all of my boxes I will have either created or joined a cult and it would have, it will be a really devastating experience. Like honestly, it's like true. We, yeah. It's an unrealistic expectation to say everyone needs to be where I am for us to move forward together. Hmm. In reality, I think a more faithful response is where am I? Where are those that are around me? Where's this institution and what's the next faithful step? we can take yeah i think i'm with you that institutions can both be helpful and harmful hurtful harmful i'm not sure both both and <laughs> <laughs> and i think sometimes as people when we make institutions somehow in our in our kind of collective effort we can make a system that's somehow less sinful than all of us kind of collectively. Mm. But also the opposite can happen that collectively we can sometimes create a system that's, that's much more sinful and harmful yeah. than any of us individually. And again, the, tr the call in the Psalm to reject human rulers. And I think as we're extending it, like the institutions they're a part of and redirect that trust to God I don't hear that redirection as a total withdrawal from the world because God uses their power to head right back into the thick of it, to be among and for and of the last, least, and lost. And it just, it's just so striking to me that instead of engaging the world by trusting leaders and their empty plans and promises that crumble to the dust as they do when they die, 
we trust a God who knows what it means to be persecuted, to be hungry, to be falsely accused, <laughs> to be killed. And this God doesn't center themselves on our pursuits of power, but instead redefines and reorients power to be about the last and the lowly. I just, I'm still struck by your word from before, Seth, the reversal that's evident in this passage too. And it's just, it's, it's just really striking to me. It's always striking to me, the cyclical nature of our election cycle just keeps coming back and never ends. Which you that's know. what a cycle is, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and just when you think like, okay, that the political ads are done for a little bit, then you give it like two months, they're all back. Mm-hmm. But again, in a reversal, like we see the opposite in a God who who doesn't cycle on and off, who doesn't reign one day and get voted out of office the next. Hmm. Like we see a God who who reigns perpetually. Like in a in a deep contrast to these fleeting political leaders. It's interesting too to think of the pendulum swings that we've seen lately. Like as one party moves into power and the next and back and forth. There's something for me that's very comforting. That although God responds to us in our particular situations, I can put it that way. Hmm. It's not these these swings that God's care and concern for the least and the lost and the little is is constant and not politically based. Hmm. Doesn't waver. I never have to worry about that getting voted out. That feels like a particularly prophetic word to land on, Seth. Can I pray for us? I would love that. So today as we're recording is All Saints Day. And the Sunday, right after this episode is released, is the Sunday when All Saints Day will be celebrated in our churches. And it's a really somber yet beautiful holiday we remember those that have died in the past year. And with the news recently of 5 million total who have died of COVID-19 worldwide and over 750,000 in the United States, I think it's appropriate for us to have a brief moment of silence to remember those who have died with gratitude, even though, as the psalm says, they have returned to the ground. So we'll offer us a brief moment of silence to remember those in our lives and for our listeners, those in your life that have died this past year or recently that you want to remember and celebrate. Then I'll close this with a prayer. Let's pray. Resurrecting one, we confess that we do not give our whole selves to you in praise. 
Help us to navigate the demands of following you and the necessity of engaging our world responsibly. Help us to use our power as you do to sustain those who are most vulnerable among us. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who died that all may live. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're looking at the very beginning of 1 Samuel. It's kind of Samuel's birth story. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Wait, with that, on our last episode, I said that I'd never been pulled over. Oh, right. We forgot about our correction that we had to make. But that's not true because this the day before that episode aired, I got pulled over for speeding. It was between recording and release. That is unbelievable. It is. If I had never had oh. said, if I had not said that on the podcast, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have had to pay $164 for my speeding that's right. ticket. So let that be a lesson to everybody, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>